Welcome. You're listening to Live with Michael Bloomling Jr., Episode 57. On today's program, our special guest is Gold Star Father, Chris Hager. Hello. Welcome back to Live with Michael Bloomling Jr. Today we have Gold Star Father and Patriot Chris Hager with us. Um, just so thankful for his family and all our families, our Gold Star families who have sacrificed so much for this country, our freedom, democracy. Um, it's just an honor to have met you uh, recently, Chris. And so with that, thank you so much for taking the time after Christmas uh, to talk with me. It's my pleasure, truly. And it is always a two-edged sword to talk uh, as a Gold Star dad. It is so important that we don't forget what our sons and daughters and husbands and wives have done. But it's also holidays are tough. I miss my son. I could only imagine. I have a, a 15 and 13 year old. And, and also, you know, on the flip side of things, when you are serving, you know, I grew up in a military family. I was born at Fort Benning, Georgia, and uh, my father was in Vietnam. And uh, I served in the United States Army as a non-commissioned officer and on deployments. And when you're at home, you know, you miss your family. You, you know, you just want to be safe. You want to, you know, protect your fellow uh, brothers and sisters that are serving with you uh, on deployments and make sure that you're doing the right thing and you uh, institutionalize the training that you receive at a very high level. I was infantry. So being able to do that, you know, was a good thing, but you know, there is always a price to pay. And um, you know, when you raise your right hand or if you're drafted and and you didn't dodge, like some people did, um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a sad day in our history because, you know, one person that we lose is, is too many. And it is, um, I have one of my favorite options to remember my son, Josh, his last video that he shot was Christmas day in Ramadi in 2006. And he's saying, Merry Christmas. It is just a hoot to watch with all of these guys going out. And many of whom I have relationship with and call me pops. So, you know, I get to be nostalgic and remember him and, miss him all at the same time. It just is what it is. Exactly. Um, you know, it's a fine line, you know, as a gold star family, I'm sure, you know, you want to have your privacy. I'm sure you want to raise awareness. You know, every diff- everybody deals with tragedy differently. I published three self-help books um, and try and help people overcome adversity and move forward in their life, whether it's abuse or military transition or their faith with God. And um, in this circumstance, you know, I'm sure whoever's uh, someone higher calling God or whoever that may be for them plays a big part in in trying to cope and and move forward. And I think a big part of it is, you know, taking the experiences that we have and and sharing them with the world and and trying to help other people because, you know, there are people that come back who have seen someone that they've lost downrange and, you know, they don't handle it very well. We have a very high suicide rate back here in the United States with our veteran community. And I don't like to dwell on that. I like to more be proactive and, and, and I want to help the individuals who come back here and who are hurting, you know, not everybody um, has the same development skills or the ability to, you know, react to different circumstances. And so uh, I just think it's, it's such an honor to be able to try to share your experiences as a mentor or a voice to try to help other people that are going through trauma. Um, it's just, yeah, just a little while ago we were in Davie, Florida, this veteran, um, you know, he, he had this trailer park and I mean, there was just like, I mean, it was like 1500 pounds of trash we took away. Like, and so it was just like so terrible that, you know, the neighbors, you know, around this guy knew that he was there and nobody's helping him, you know, and nobody's, you know, reaching out and, 
and then he was jumped, you know, right before we intervened, he was jumped. And then a week after we helped him, he ended up passing away. Um, he had some kind of terminal illness. So there's so many veterans out here that need help. And, and there's so many brave soldiers like your son who, um, you know, why don't you talk if it's okay, you know, a little bit about your son and, and why he wanted to join. And, and, uh, cause I was pre and post nine 11. So I, I joined before nine 11, but a lot of people joined after. Everything you say is so on the money. The, my son was an army ranger. He, um, I'll go back in a minute, but what he saw as his role in Iraq was to get all of his boys back. And by boys, he meant the men in his platoon. It was a ghost platoon. And their tour of duty was the worst of Ramadi, the worst of Iraq in 06, 07. 70 plus combat missions in 90 days. And everybody came back but him. And we've lost two to suicide. So even getting them back wasn't a secure road to being alive. Josh, uh, I actually started a high school in 1995 so Josh could get through high school with a diploma. My concern, and he at 17 years old, didn't look at himself as ever being a military type, but I knew that he would never even have that option if he had a GED. Back in those days, you had to have a high school diploma. And he was flunking out of high school. So I literally started a high school in Denver in 1994, and he was in the first graduating class. So he had a high school diploma. He tried to do some regular work. He was a good worker, no problem with that. But he hung around with the wrong guys. And it ended up that he discovered he couldn't even hold a job as a gas station attendant at a filling station. And he said, all right, I'm gonna join the army. And I was thrilled. I went to his swearing in. You probably stood and took the oath and family might've been there with you. It was a big day. There was something off about him. And what it was is that he had, he knew he had flunked his urine test. And so the army gave him one last chance to clean up. He had tested um, positive for marijuana. And he had six months and he said, dad, I've got to get away from where I am. So he went to Texas and spent six months with my parents. The most corrective, most beneficial six months of his life. That was 1998. And he passed his test, joined and went to Fort Benning at the, um, as a recruit. And in the, the, at, the graduation, he received his first award was an Audie Murphy award, they called it then. He got an iron mic, and it was that the soldiers voted him the soldier they'd most willingly follow in the battle. He had found his home. When 82nd Airborne jumped school, and from that point on, he actually was at home, and he knew it, and he excelled. I was so proud of him. This is 98, 99, 2000, before anybody worried about 9-11 and deployments. But he became, he earned his invitation to Ranger School. 
And my dad had been a glider pilot in World War II, of all things, and attached the 82nd Airborne as a glider pilot. As a, uh, he also flew C-47s. And he was able to pin my son's Ranger tab on him, which is another highlight um, moment. And the 6th Ranger Training Battalion at Avon Air Force Base asked him to stay and become a Ranger instructor. So Josh went from getting a ranger tab to becoming a ranger instructor and spent two and a half years training soldiers how to be army rangers really remarkable but he had never he hadn't been deployed and he told me dad that until i get over to the show he didn't think he had amounted to anything so he found a unit out of colorado springs the one nine out of fort carson wrote a transfer for himself, gave it to his command, and they said, okay, you can go. And in 05, end of 05, 06, um, joined the 1-9, became the um, platoon sergeant for the command um, commander of the unit, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Ferry. And they deployed in 06, and he was at FOB Corregidor in Ramadi and participated. He was pre-surge, but participated in events that led to what became the surge. And his intelligence officer told us because of his actions and who he was, the Iranians had put a bounty on him. And we believe the Iranians got him on February 22nd, 07. Wow, just a uh, tranquil moment. It just really is just remarkable to even talk about and just even rehash it out. And um, I wonder, this is a funny thing. I, I served from uh, 1997, December 30th to December 3101. So I was pre and post 9-11. And uh, I was overseas for three and a half years in the Kosovo conflict in 2000 and the global war to th- uh, the global war on terrorism before I ETSed out of the military. Um, and often I wonder because... Uh, People that served with, you know, in Iraq and Afghanistan, I wonder, you know, when I left the military, did anybody, you know, end up being a casualty or how were other people? I, that was something always stuck with me. Even to this day, I still wonder, you know, how the people I served sure. with. Um, one person I did serve with downrange did come back and uh, a couple of years ago he committed suicide. So um, that was kind of hard to hear because, you know, you don't expect, you know, people to, you know, to hit close to you like that, you know, because, it's really a tragedy, but you know, this world is filled with heroes and obviously your son is one of them. And it's a remarkable story how, uh, you know, he, uh, he was able to overcome and, uh, he, you know, he kind of just, he wanted to be in that moment. So I just always feel like God has a calling for people, every single person. And, um, I just think that, you know, there's a time and place that people are put in for a specific reason. And, who knows how many people your son saved over there or, or, you know, his actions, you know, were able to impact positively, you know, and, uh, and the good that that can come of it, you know, there's, it's always tough to, to deal with loss and, and tragedy, but on the flip side, you know, it's, it's what can be done with it. I believe we have Chris Hager with us, gold star father, um, on live with Michael Bloomy jr. And, uh, it's one of the things I want to advocate for in Congress. That's why I'm running for U.S. Congress in uh, Florida District 21 in Palm Beach County. And that's how uh, we met. And, um, you know, there's so many stories across the country of just, you know, patriots and heroes. And that's what we have to do. We have to ensure that the people that we've lost on the battlefield, 
they come back home and, and they're made whole and they're able to, you know, be productive and, and have jobs and be able to provide for their families. Cause right now, you know, a lot of people are coming back home and they're hurting. And uh, I think that, you know, Congress has failed a lot of our veteran community. Um, you know, they put politics before patriotism, which I highly discourage and, and, um, it's something that I don't believe some anyone can be proud of when you vote for a bill for veterans and you vote against it. Um, that's one of the reasons why I want to run because we need to enact uh, legislation for veterans' rights and to ensure that their uh, families and themselves are taken care of. You know, your story is is a, a story of love and compassion from the way I see it, and and we have an obligation to do something productive with it on the outside. So. Um, when all this occurred, I'm sure there was a grieving period and everything like that for you, Chris. What what inspires you now to to do something different? And what is it exactly that you are doing different to honor your son and, and to try to give back to society, America, and uh, to other patriots? I, I love the question. And it is an easy question today to answer. It would have been impossible a few years ago. I didn't even... I had no understanding for the first three or four years how much it hurt to have lost Josh. I was pretty stoic. You know, I was emotional. I did a, did some interviews, said some things, you know, had a bit of a voice. But what finally got me was this simple point. Six days before Josh was killed, my phone rang and he said, hi, Dad. I just called to tell you I love you. And it finally occurred to me, and I could put it into words, our men and women don't serve because of who they hate or what they hate. They serve because of what they love and who they love. And I begin to understand that my son loved his God, he loved his family, he loved his country and freedom. And what can I do every day to honor what he loved? The other thing that I finally came to terms with that is even more important, and honestly, one of the reasons that I became a, a, an advocate for the president, I knew from his basic training, there's a reason that your soldiers, 400 soldiers in his basic training unit, said they'd follow him in the battle. For whatever reason, there was a switch that said he was willing to die for his country. I kind of always got that. But it wasn't until his second or third year as a ranger instructor and I started building this understanding of what he lived through, how it, what it took to be an army ranger, was that he was willing to live for his country as an army ranger. That's a commitment that most people have no clue about. You do. And it strikes me that our country needs to honor and find more people who are willing to live like that. And I saw in the first two people I became acquainted with and one of whom I become very good friends with, um, I spent an hour or so with five other Gold Star families within candidate Trump in Jacksonville in August of 16, and sitting beside him was Gerald Michael Flynn. And I realized that the president 
is willing to live for his country and take abuse and do 18-hour days. I mean, yeah, he's a wealthy man and all that. He has given up so much. He he embodies that spirit in what he's doing. And most certainly, Mike Flynn has lived 35 years in a capacity that matches that. That's what I look for. And people stand up to the criteria that my son was willing to live for his country as an Army Ranger. That meant 18-hour days when he was off duty. Because if you do an eight-hour day, you've lost ground. I know that's a higher standard than most even can comprehend. And it took me several years to finally figure it out. But that's a calling. And we have countless men and women who live that today. And thank God we do. Amen. I just got chills actually whenever you were talking about that because I kind of feel like that's my life. You know, politics is, politics is a very dirty game. There's so much hate and envy and jealousy and um, conniving that happens. And it's just such a, you know, I don't think society has room for that. You know, I, I act out of love and, and kindness and, and I want a better world. And I think President Donald Trump emulates that as well. A lot of people think that I'm like Trump and um, has some extraordinary things happen. One of them was Pastor Mark Burns, who uh, is one of the spiritual advisors with uh, President Donald J. Trump. We're in 4th of July and uh, I'm in Washington, D.C. for the Salute to America. I was up there for the event and um, he prayed over me. You know, I ran into him, thousands of people there, hundreds of thousands of people there ran into him again and we have met several times and um, he prayed over me that I'd be even a better president than Donald J. Trump. And, you know, I couldn't believe, <laughs> I couldn't believe the words came out of his mouth. Quite honestly, it was kind of shocking, but, um, and then, you know, back here in my district, you know, you have people from the local GOP who are spreading slander. Like I'm not even a veteran, you know, imagine what we're talking about, the duty, the honor of the country. I served in the first infantry division. So many people have sacrificed their lives going on uh, Normandy on D-Day and you know they were wearing the first infantry division patch and I have it on my chest a tattoo but you know there's something I'm so proud of of being in that division and I was recruited for Delta when I was in um, I didn't pick it up I didn't understand the the value of of that level I was just you know like I'm going to be in the military you know I was a non-commissioned officer I'm going to do what I got to do and then I'm going to keep it moving which I did you know my plan that I had you know, it was to a T, but, um, I think I was young though, you know, a lot of, you don't understand things fully, but after the service and I'm highly decorated to come back here, be a distinguished non-commissioned officer. And, you know, you take off the uniform, you know, not a lot of people know who you are. I mean, even right now you walk down the street, if someone didn't know you, they would have no clue. And I think that's where we need to have empathy in this world. And that's why I want to get into politics. And a lot of people like, you know, do you really want to do that? And it's like, absolutely. Because somebody has to stand up. Somebody has to be, be the difference maker, but to have people actually try to utter the words that this, that to question whether you're, you served in the military or not. I mean, I know people are out here that make up military service, but somebody that's like the most disrespectful thing that you could say to somebody. Yeah, and it's like spitting in my head. face. And it's just, I mean, yeah. you know, you take everything with a grain of salt, but honestly, these, these people that have these kind of 
um, this vengeance and evilness inside them. I mean, I think that's where it comes from. And like you had mentioned about your son, when we serve downrange, when we're deployed, it's not out of evil or hate. We don't hate anybody. At least I did. And I can't, you know, maybe there's a small faction that did, but the majority of us want to protect Americans. We want to protect freedom. We want to protect democracy. We want to for, protect liberty and justice. And we, so we go downrange and, you know, my whole philosophy is them before me. I never had a problem, you know, making that conscious decision because when it comes to, you know, protecting protecting American freedoms. People have died for, for centuries and, and, you know, nobody wants to kill anyone. You know, I'm a, I'm a devout Catholic. I was an altar boy. I'm in the Knights of Columbus now and thou shalt not kill. I mean, obviously that's something that, you know, you carry with you, but at the end of the day, if it comes down to it, you know, we have to do what we have to do. And I was one of the people that in my mindset for me, just giving personal intellectual uh, property basically to, to the world, which I'm a very open person. You know, I was willing to pull the trigger to change, you know, the, the history, you know, that's what your son did. Your, your, your son was put into a position and he changed history. Who knows what could have or couldn't have happened without his, you know, meritorious, uh, heroic, uh, nature of what he encountered and took on in his deployment and what he, what he chose to sacrifice for America. I mean, a lot of people forget these things. And that's what I'm so passionate about is bringing that to the forefront. You know, that's why whenever a veteran bill is brought to the floor in the House of Representatives and U.S. Congress, we need to be voting yes. I mean, we should be bringing good bills to the House that support our veterans. And this is something that I will do when I get into Congress. You just need the support to get there. And these people that are trying to say that you didn't serve this country and, and you, at a time when we have so little veterans who actually served in Congress, it's a disgrace. It's disgusting. One of the things I, I love connecting simple biblical truths to service. And of course, one of my favorite lines in Exodus in the beginning, they list the names of the tribes of Israel. But the, the key first verse says, a king arose in Egypt who did not know Joseph. What that means is that the Pharaoh came up and it had been close to 400 years since the character Joseph had been alive. They didn't know that this first Israelite had saved the entire nation, if not the whole region, because of his wisdom and his ability to secure a famine. He didn't know history. And that led to slavery of the Israelites and ultimately led to the destruction of Egypt. Dennis Prager writes in his Rational Bible, without memory, there's no gratitude. And without gratitude, there's no appreciation. Florida gives Gold Star families a license plate. It says Gold Star Family on it. I've had one for 11 years. Three people have ever acknowledged or understand what the license plate means in 11 years. We don't have a memory that's functional about the sacrifice that our men and women have made, not only in this current crisis in the Middle East, I said my dad flew gliders in World War II. There is a price that is required for freedom. What the left hates, I believe, more than anything else is the simple fact we believe, I believe, our rights come from God. They do not come from government. And they come to individuals. They don't come to a, one church or one direction of faith. They come to an individual. God gives me the right to freedom. Amen. I can't say it better. That. You really can't. 
Chris Hager with us, Gold Star Father on Live with Michael Blumen Jr. Um, just, I mean, I feel like we could talk for hours about this, honestly. And and you know what? That's why every time I see a veteran with the their military insignia hat or something, I always, you know, walk into the airport. I'll be flying today to New York City. Just different times you see people, you always recognize them. I do in a way, but you know, I always see that they their face lights up. You know what? In today's society, it's so odd. Regardless of political affiliation, I'm I'm a conservative patriot, but a Republican. But regardless of of uh, affiliation, military is bipartisan. And so what, you know, some people may not agree with a war like in Vietnam or different, you know, parts of history. And, you know, at the end of the day, a soldier's job when he raises his right hand or he's drafted is just to do follow orders, follow general orders, as long as, you know, they're not unethical, you know, and then then you have to call that into question, obviously, as a human being to be able to bring that to your chain of command to your superiors. But outside of that, soldier's job is just, regardless of what branch of service you served or where you were at, is just to follow orders and execute the orders of the United States of America. And so if these are the leadership, good, bad, or indifferent, you know, evil or good, whatever the case may be, we're just executing our orders. So to come back home and to be, you know, like in Vietnam, people, a lot of Vietnam veterans were spit on and they didn't feel appreciated. And, you know, it just baffles me. But today, you know, take that out of it. Just walking down the street, how many people actually say hello to you? Like people are just so distant. I mean, it's like, it's like this is the land of opportunity and freedom and people should be so ecstatic about that. I mean, you know, being deployed to third world countries, you see the way these people are living, the way these uh uh, religious wars are taking place and all these fighting and just, you know, constant bombs going off and people trying to kill each other every single day. And we have that to some degree in America, but not nothing like a third world country. These people here have, you know, a false sense of, of uh, reality of what's really happening. And when you serve in the military, you're able to understand that and see that. But it amazes me when you say hello to a veteran that's wearing an insignia hat. You know, first of all, why would they wear that? You know, take me serving in the military out of it, just a normal person. Why would they wear that? You know, because we have, you know, a small demographic, one or 2% of the population who served. And, you know, what makes this demographic want to actually show that they're, you know, wearing it? Is it pride? Is it happiness? Is it love? All those kind of things. And then what makes someone not wear it? You know, are they disgraced, you know, at the military? They don't agree with the leaders. You know, what reasons why wouldn't someone want to be, you know, wear something that shows that they served? And then on the second side of it, you know, these are things I think about. I'm very intellectual and I try to think about things in a, in a way that really, you know, puts myself in another position to help other people. You know, what are people thinking and feeling? And, you know, those kind of things are very important in today's society, I believe, especially when you're trying to help people. And you're like myself running for Congress, you need to understand the society and the people. What are they thinking? What do they need? What are they looking for from leaders in the community? And then the other side of it, I'm just amazed that when you say hello to these veterans, they're like shocked that somebody actually says hello to them. And to yeah. me that, I mean, you know, you don't follow them through their day. Maybe they wear a hat every single day. Maybe they wear it a few days a week, but it's really odd to me when I say that to people because their face lights up and they look so excited, but it's kind of like, it's a rare moment that somebody says that to them. I get this feeling and it's not just once I get this feeling like every single time that I do this, when I say thank you for your service to our veterans and I say it from my heart with nothing but gratitude and love, it just amazes me. It feels like they haven't heard that before. Have you um, ever been to a return ceremony for an honor flight return? 
You know oh yeah, I mean? down here because I live in South Florida. Say so I've been at the right, one right. in West Palm, and then also right, so Fort Lauderdale. Yeah, is the most amazing experience uh, is I was at St. Pete one time at 800 people in the terminal cheering 74 World War and, and Vietnam era vets that came back from that honor flight. It was the energy, the enthusiasm, but the gratitude is one of the most amazing experiences. And boy, would I encourage anybody that is that does not understand what you're saying or that what I'm talking about in terms of a sense of gratitude, find an honor flight return and watch the crowd because it will, it'll change your scope on how people can show their appreciation. And you know, 15 days ago, I was at um, Sarasota National Cemetery for the um, Reeves Across America event, 3,000 people helping put Reeves on 14,000 gravestones. What an incredible display of appreciation. Now that's something I haven't done that I would like to do. That's that's remarkable, especially up at Arlington in uh, Virginia, in DC area. Yeah, I think there was close to 70,000 people at Arlington. I have several friends that were there. And it is a remarkable, remarkable event. Now, that is something I want to do for sure. Now, also, when you're talking about Freedom Flight, um, Freedom Flight of South Florida, um, Stan Bostic, I had him on one of the shows. I forget the episode number, but if the listeners go back, they can hear that. Um, I actually spoke at an event in Coconut Creek. Uh, He had a benefit concert. And he's actually added first responders to the to yes. the mix, and that's going to be starting the spring of 2020. So um, I'm going to be helping Stan out, and and uh, he's doing some great things. You know, we had almost 2,000 people at the concert, and uh, he gave me about five minutes on stage to speak. And you know, I will continue to fight for for you and your family, Chris, and for everybody that sacrificed for this country, whether they gave their life or they gave you know a limb or they gave you know some a piece of their mind. You know, everybody has given something who has served this country in some way or, or faction. And so I'm just really appreciative. And, you know, God bless your family, Chris. God bless your son. You know, I know he's looking down on us in heaven. And, you know, I want to impact every single veteran in this country, every single family member. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. My father tried to kill me when I was five. I grew up in a very strict home and the system kept put me back in. He tried to kill me two other times after that incident. And I've just always knew in my heart that I would impact millions of people, but you don't know how. And through your son, his legacy, the the, the heroic things that he's done in his life, I know that you're impacting uh, a lot of people as well. And I just pray that God blesses your family again and bless all of our military overseas. Uh, we just had an ID that killed a soldier in Afghanistan. And I'm working with Grant Haybar with the IED crisis, and I'm trying to raise awareness. I had him on my, one of my shows as well. Um, one of my initiatives, uh, besides ending child sex trafficking, is um, is the war on uh, in Afghanistan, bringing our troops home, helping to um, have legislation to protect our soldiers overseas that they have the right equipment. And with this IED crisis and and terrorists being able to get these bomb making materials, they're able to you know ca- cause severe uh, loss of life for our military personnel. And this is the number one cause of deaths in our military is bomb making material IEDs. So um, I'm going to be a strong. Uh, 
uh, person fighting in Congress for these legislation and laws. And I'm trying to work on media coverage right now to talk about these deaths because, you know, you hear about these stories on the news of, of a soldier killed downrange, especially since the war isn't so like, you know, prevalent where it's so hot and heavy. There's a war going on every day. People just may not be hearing about it. It doesn't have to be an invasion of Iraq or Afghanistan fighting the, you know, ISIS or Taliban, all that kind of stuff. You know, there's always something going on. You know, I was either training for war, I was deployed. I mean, that's what we do as military personnel. So we've got to, we got, we need leaders to step up on the home front and and I'm going to do that. So please share the interview we had, please all of our listeners, you can follow me for USA freedom on Twitter. You can also follow my campaign, Michael Bloomling Jr. for Congress. You can go to my website, michaelbloomlingforcongress.com. Please contribute. We need volunteers. We need people to help put me into office so that I can fight the swamp and we can really bring change to the community, not only here in Florida, but also throughout the United States. And uh, that's something I believe in my heart and, and the conviction from God will never stop me. Also, Chris, how can people access your information and how can they connect with you or, or assist your family? We're on Facebook, uh, Chris-Wendy Hager, and Chris is with a K. And I have Freedom's Voice, um, FVINC.org, freedomsvoice.org. Well, I encourage I, everybody my to... My prayers are with you, and I appreciate all that you do. Amen. You know, it's a, a constant battle. We got to stay in, the, like we said in the military, stay in the fight. That's what you have to do. You know, that's, that's the thing that really sets Oscar people Mike. apart. On mission. Amen. God bless you and duty on our country. Thank you, sir. I salute you and I salute your family. God bless. Thank you for listening to Live with Michael Bloomling Jr., which airs five days a week, Monday through Friday. On our next program, we'll have Basil Baz, the founder of the Association for the Recovery of Children. Please contribute to the Michael Bloomling Jr. for Congress campaign at michaelbloomlingforcongress.com.